I'm because I know that he is a human like me. And how many times have I failed people and after said, saying, trust me, I do trust you, of course, but, uh, but I, I know that there is a chance that he will let me down. But not our Heavenly Father, our Heavenly Father. And that is the opening lines of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God the Father, the Almighty, Creator of heaven and earth. Here we have a Father who is different from all other beings. He's not limited by anything. And we can trust Him with everything that is going on in our life, with everything that is going on in the world. So when, God, when the Bible calls God the Father, it means many different things. First, God is the Father in the sense that He's the source of everything. Paul writes, for example, in 1 Corinthians, Yet for us there is one God, but one God, the Father, from whom all things came and for whom we live. Everything comes from Him. And in that sense, God is the Father of the universe. God, of, God is the Father of all things. And it doesn't matter whether you believe in slow, sort of theistic evolution, or you believe that God created the world in seven days. It doesn't matter. Before God created things, there was nothing. But because God created, things came about. In that sense, He is the Father of all the creation. In that sense, He's the Father of all people. Everyone in the world exists because God created them. So he is, in that sense, father of everyone. But that is somewhat impersonal, isn't it? And that's not what really the Bible means when God called, when we call God the Father. Uh, God is the father of Israel, for example. God is a people. They, 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 he has a special relationship with them. But not only that, when Jesus calls God the Father, he means something very different. Jesus had been enjoying that intimate, trinitarian unity with God the Father through all creation. We get the doctrine of Trinity through uh, many different passages uh, from different places, but Paul writing in Colossians, I think, is helpful. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, for in Him all things were created. He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. You see, it says it's the Son's image, image of the invisible God. That image is like a mirror, right? He is God. That's what he's trying to say. Yes, the whole world was created by God, but the agent of creation is Jesus Christ. He is called the firstborn over all creation. He's not created, but he is the firstborn who has created everything in the world. He uh, later in the Nicene Creed, the creed that we normally confess in the church, yet they clarify, church fathers clarify by saying Jesus is begotten, not created, remember, of one being with the Father. He's begotten, he comes from God, uh, he's not created, and he is of one being with the Father. Second century church father called Tertullian says, think of it this way. God the Father existed as God the Father through all eternity. What does that mean? Well, it means that He existed in relationship to the Son. If God the Father is the Father through all eternity, it means that He has a Son uh, who exists in relationship to 
Jesus has always existed as the Son in this loving embrace with the Father all of eternity. So when Jesus calls God, Abba, Father, he means something very different. Right? He means this intimate relationship with them that he's been enjoying all of eternity. That inseparable bond and union with God the Father. Which is why then it's amazing that such privilege is extended to us. Unlike Jesus, we are created by God and sustained by Him. And although we're the pinnacle of God's creation, created in God's image to be in relationship with Him, what would we rebelled against God and we sin against God. Every sin is an act of rebellion and every sin separates, uh, separates us from the Holy God. But when Jesus dies on the cross, a way is made. Those who trust in Jesus are given the Holy Spirit. And we're invited then to be part of that intimate relationship between God the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Paul writes in Romans 8.15, The Spirit you received through, uh, received brought about your adoption to sonship. Oh yeah, this is the thing. Spirit you receive brought about uh, your adoption to sonship. And by him we, we cry, Abba, Father. I want you to see the good news here. Uh, when we are baptized, we're baptized into the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. When we're baptized, we're baptized into the very being of God. By the Spirit, we're integrated into uh, the divine being through the Son, so that we come to share in that position with the Son. Uh, this is a famous Rupa's uh, painting called Trinity. It depicts uh, in Genesis, uh, uh, the three angels visit, um, which becomes sort of foreshadowing of the Trinity. And here, if this is God the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, we're integrated into the Son. And through the Son, we're invited to be in that intimate relationship with God the Father through the Spirit in Jesus Christ. Which means that we become co-rulers with Him, co-heirs of His kingdom. We become people who, what the Bible says, will judge the angels because that we are in Christ the Son. And we get to call God, Daddy, Abba, Father. Researching uh, for this sermon this week, I uh, read this testimony by an Iranian woman. Uh, that, that testimony begins like this. She says, In Islam, there are 99 names for Allah, but none, not one of them is Father. And then she describes how she, uh, her father was never uh, loving. He never showed love. Uh, he was an angry man who abused his family. He tried to kill his son once and uh, the, the, the wife many times. He tried to kill, uh, uh, he had this, she had this negative view of fathers. In fact, she had a negative view of all men. But one day she found herself in Iran, in a church, surrounded by people who were very really different from her father. And through that church she became a Christian. And she still couldn't call God the Father, and this is what she writes. But then, there was a great challenge awaiting me. I had to accept God as my father in my mind. Father was not a word of 
much better word, but God wanted to reveal himself to me, and he did so with complete patience and gentleness. As I studied the Bible, I saw the grace and love of the Father. I prayed, and I felt the attention of the Father. As I worshipped, I felt the embrace of the Father, and he healed my past, my present, and my future. He has transformed me. He even enabled me to truly forgive my earthly father. I used to hate the word father, but today I worship God the Father with great love and passion. I worship Jesus Christ as Lord and the one who has saved my soul. And I love to walk in the Spirit who is always with me. You see, whatever your earthly father was like, when you confess Jesus as your Lord, and become part of this intimate relationship that Jesus has enjoyed all of eternity. It means that you have a loving Father that no, no one in this world can compare. And it's that Father that Jesus calls Abba, Father, that we too need to call Abba, our Father. So I hope you know Him as your Father, and I hope you go to Him as your father. And you know, often I talk about, when I talk about God the Father, um, like this, some people tell me, well, you know, I don't really want to bother God. I don't want to go to God with trivial things, like what I'm going through in my workplace or my job interviews. I mean, he's got more important things to deal with. No. I'm not bothered when Barney comes to me and tells me about his day or what he's learned. Oh my God. 
To whom will you compare me? Who is my equal? Says the Holy One. Of course, there is no equal. There is no one comparable to God, our Almighty Father. And that's good news for us. Because what does He do with that power? He rules over all of the creation with that power. Heidelberg Catechism is a, a confession of the Reformed Church. And they also go through uh, the Apostles' Creed. And this is the, their answer uh, to this question. This is how they explain this part. What do you understand by the providence of God, the almighty and ever-present power of God by which God upholds as with His, uh, as with his hand, heaven and earth and all creatures? So He rules them, uh, so, uh, and so rules them that leaf and blade, rain and drought, fruitful and lean years, food and drink, health and sickness, prosperity and poverty, all things in fact come to us not by chance, but by his fatherly hands. Every leaf and every blade, lean years, prosper, uh, pros uh, prosperous years, health and sickness come through our fatherly hand. This means that we can trust in him in all situations. It means that we can be patient when we are going through difficulties. It means that we, that we can know that God has a purpose through the suffering that we're going through, through the sickness that we're going through. It means that we can forgive people. We know that God is in control over this. It means that uh, God will make all things right in the end because He has promised to make all things right in the end with His love, wisdom, and power. And this past week, you might have heard about this gruesome murder that happened an influence in Hong Kong. It's a terrible story. And if you read the stories, it shakes us, doesn't it? It makes us think, how can anyone do this? And last week I was talking to Lawrence here. Uh, he teaches at the school where the daughter of this couple um, goes to school. And we're both talking and we're talking about how terrible it is to face such evil, such senseless and purposeless and just evil thing and not have someone to go to. Right? That, that we're talking about uh, his colleagues and, and, and his kids. Well, if, if they, well, as they hear these things, if they don't have someone to go to, somebody who they can go to and say, Father, help. What is going on to ask? If you don't have such a person, how do you handle such atrocity? And if God is not in control, if God is in control over all these things in this heaven, yes, it introduces certain kinds of problems, and we'll see in the next section. But if you don't have God who is in charge over all things, this is what this means. When things like this happen, it means that evil just wins. It means that, that Bad, when bad things happen, they have the final say. That there is no answer for it. This world that is filled with suffering and sickness and injustice and evil things, it means that they just win. That there is no answer. We see in the Bible, God making, even using the, the most atrocious things and bringing good out of it. 
We see it in the story of Joseph, for example. Through his suffering, imprisonment, accusation, up through his rise to power to save Egypt and that region and the people of God. That was God's purpose, to bring that good out of that evil. We see it through the story of Jesus. The death of God's Son who brings salvation of humanity through the most evil thing. Friends, and God promises to make all things right. God promises when He comes back to wipe the tears from our eyes and make all things right because He is in charge. Because He is God Almighty who rules with that might, who will make everything right. We might not understand the reason why things happen the way they do right now, but we don't have to fear. And we can trust in this almighty God. And we can trust Him because we know that He is the creator of the world, which means that He's committed to saving, to loving Him. Because we belong to Him and, in the next slide please, He is the creator of heaven and the earth. In the universe, was not an accident. He has called the world, but when he made the world, he called it very good. It was his. It had his divine imprint on it. When he saw the world, he saw the reflection of his goodness, and he's committed to saving it, to ruling it. And sometimes we feel pessimistic about the world when we look at it, right? The news headlines don't help. Grizzly murders, police crackdowns in Israel, poison, Poisoning in Iran, the war in Ukraine, these are just all the headlines that I found on Thursday as I was writing this. Of course, it's not just the news too. We go through evil, we go through suffering, we go through pain. That seems overwhelming at times. Tumor, death of children, stillbirth, senseless wars, murder, adultery, scams, cheating. We can go, how can we call this world good? when all these evil things are happening. Last week I told you that the Apostles' Creed is not written in response to some uh, heresy, uh, but it summarizes the basics of the Christian faith, but uh, that's generally true, but there is a cultural background um, to which the, the Apostles' Creed is making this assertion, and it's Gnosticism. Gnosticism is that philosophy that dominated ancient world in the 2nd and 3rd century, it said that this world is evil. Everything in the world is evil. All the material world is not what we, where we belong. That we want to escape to heaven, to this spiritual world that is untainted by evil and sin. Escape was the ultimate goal. So why, the, why did this uh, philosophy, why was this so popular? So popular, but partly because of all the things that we've mentioned already. Because they too saw people's sins. They too saw sin and disease and wars and believed that this world is not the way it's supposed to be and they wanted to escape to a different world. And so they said, all of the world is evil. The theologian makes this analogy. A Gnostic is like a person who sees a red wine stain on the carpet and they cannot think of any solution except to cover the rest of the rest of the floor with wine. The, the stain is no longer visible, but at what cost? 
Narcissism solves the problem of evil by only transforming everything into evil. Friends, of course, we see real suffering and real pain and real evil in this world. Many of you are going through it now. But friends, evil is not the norm. It's not the norm in this world. They aren't to be accepted. They aren't to be, we aren't to say, it is like that in this world. When we look at evil, we should say, that's not part of God's plan. That is not part of God's group creation. When you see injustice, it should make you angry. Because you should say, this is God's world. And that doesn't belong here. When you see tumor growing and overtaking somebody's life, you should say, that doesn't belong in God's good world. When you see suffering in this world, you should say, that is not part of God's world. That's not the way it's supposed to be. You know why? Because God created the world. And God created the world to be good. So each week, despite the fallenness of this world, despite suffering and evil and pain, we declare this statement of hope. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, Creator of heaven and earth, the world as a Creator. He called the world good, and when we ruined it, He didn't abandon it, He committed Himself to saving it. So our Father God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Friends, we believe in that God, that Father Almighty, that Creator of heaven and earth. That's a thing. Oh Lord, as we look the suffering, the evil, and pain in this world, sometimes we are overwhelmed. And we lose our perspective and we think that evil is money. But Lord, we thank you for now that you are this good creator. That you have created a world to be good, to be pleasing to your eyes, to glorify you. And we thank you that you have created yourself to save you sending Jesus to die for us and rise again to usher in a new creation that is coming. We thank you for the hope that we have in you. And we thank you that as we go through the suffering and pain in this world, we're not alone. That we have a loving Father who is almighty, who has created the world, who has sustained it, who has saved it, and who will do it. Lord, help us to declare this hope uh, with these words as we say these things each week. I don't know.